0: Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So glad to have you along with us. If you'll give me 90 minutes, I'm going to give you the world. My broadcast partners are standing by. You're going to hear reports on current events, geopolitical activities happening in our world that you will not hear from mainstream media. This is why this program is so key, because we do bring the broadcast partners to the table, helping you to get insight into those events happening that will help us understand how the prophetic scenario of God's Word is quickly coming together. I'll also be talking with Dr. Don DeYoung. We're going to be talking about earlier this week the Superflower Blood Moon Eclipse that took place. Those are going to happen quite a bit this summer and then solar storms and what that could mean to the United States, and in fact, the entire Earth. As we talk with Don, we'll find out more about that. That's all in a moment, but we now go to Ken Timmerman. He is a world traveler. He has some best-selling books on the New York book list of famous authors and famous books that are well-written and deservedly to be well read as well. Ken Timmerman comes right now to help us understand some current events. And Ken, as we look at what the United Nations is doing, they're challenging Israel, and they're alleging that their defensive strikes there in the Gaza could possibly be war crimes. What do you think about the UN? Is it possible Israel did commit some war crimes?
1: Well, Jimmy, you know, you can't be surprised when you hear the United Nations criticize Israel. It's what they do. Uh, if it's Tuesday at the U.N., they are passing some resolution against the state of Israel. For them to allege war crimes in this latest campaign in Gaza is absolutely pathetic. Uh, even uh, the, the most outrageous case, which was when Israel bombed the uh, television tower that was used by the Associated Press and other Foreign news agencies in Gaza. Uh, Israel showed footage of uh, Hamas using that same television tower to launch rockets into Israel. And the most hilarious of all uh, was a female journalist from Al Arabiya, a Saudi television network, who was broadcasting live and was caught in a in a hot mic moment where she was talking to somebody on her cell phone and said, "You mean they're doing what? You saw what?" There was rockets leaving here. They were going out of our building, <laughs> and so she and she laughed. She laughed because Hamas was using the building uh, as uh, a screen, if you wish, as a you know instead of a human shield, they were using a journalism shield for their terrorist strikes on Israel. So it doesn't surprise me that the UN uh, is going after Israel, uh, but it's just another pathetic uh, uh, outrage against reality.
0: Ken, that's a perfect example of what the media is seen around the world, and thus now it's being reflected there by the United Nations as well. And I think it's being reflected by the United States Congress. A recent poll tells us that most Democrats stand with Hamas. They blame Israel. However, 67% of the Republicans are standing strong with Israel. Now, this is good news from the Republican side, but not too good from the Democratic side.
1: Well, Jimmy, this is very disturbing because Israel for decades has had very strong bipartisan support, not just in Congress, but in the American public. And this is one reason why it was difficult for President Obama to punish Israel for its 2014 war with Gaza and a reason why President Biden has not been able to punish Israel either. Uh, So I think this is a a, a very bad sign. It's a disturbing sign. Uh, It shows the increasing domination of the left wing of the Democrat Party led by AOC and uh, the squad. It shows the increasing uh, importance of radical Muslim-American groups. Uh, So I think this is a dangerous sign.
0: And it's also reflecting what is happening on the streets out there of America, a violent Palestinian protest sweeping across America—the word I hear is only going to get worse. What are your thoughts?
1: And those protests, Jimmy, aren't just uh, calling for you know justice for Palestinians or ceasefire. They are rank anti-Semitic protests. They're not just against the state of Israel. They are for a Palestine Euden Rhine, free of Jews from the river to the sea. This is extremely disturbing. Uh, We have never seen this in the United States, certainly not on this widespread basis. These protests are going from New York down to, uh, you know, southern Florida to Minneapolis. They are all across the country, and police forces are not cracking down on them. Hate crimes are illegal. They're federally banned. There's federal legislation. Anti-Semitism is a hate crime, and there is no action whatsoever against these Muslim-American protesters Uh, supported by the extreme left of the Democrat Party. That is very disturbing to see anti-Semitism raise its ugly head in this country.
0: These reports are probably what is motivating Prime Minister Netanyahu. He made the statement this week, Israel will have to act to counter Iranian nuclear threat and do it without the United States. Now, Israel's ready to do that. It's a shame the U.S. is not going to be a partner with Israel.
1: Well, you know, Netanyahu says this on a regular basis, and he's right to do so, uh, because it's important for the world to understand, not just the United States and not just for Iran, but Europe to understand, for Russia and for China to understand that Israel will always act in its own national security interest. It is not waiting for a green light from America, from the United Nations, or from any other country. So I think it is a salutary uh, statement Uh, It's something that Netanyahu, as I said, does it. He does this regularly. This particular instance was quite interesting because he was speaking at an awards ceremony to Mossad officers. And he told them uh, Now, of course, we don't know who was there at the ceremony. That part was kept secret, but his remarks were not secret. And he told this group of Mossad officers, your number one priority above all else is to make sure that Iran does not get nuclear weapons. I thought that was pretty dramatic. Uh, It was certainly a great show of support to Mossad, who appears to have done some pretty amazing work over the past couple of years. Most recently, just a couple of months ago, shutting down once again Natan's uranium enrichment center, just as the Iranians were putting uranium hexafluoride gas, radioactive gas, into their new generation centrifuges. So uh, I, I think it's an important statement, and I think where Netanyahu made the statement at Mossad headquarters was also significant.
0: Well, I would agree with that also, Ken. The Mossad, probably the number one premier intelligence gathering organization in the entire world, a key component in security for the Jewish state of Israel. Well, just north of Israel, Syria held presidential elections and in fact, in this war-torn nation, Bashar Assad came up for another seven-year term, and he had two opponents, but he won with 95% of the vote. Was that a forest, or do you think it's real?
1: Jimmy, you know, every every week we need to have a little comic relief from all of the bad things going on in the world. So this week it turns out to be Bashar Assad, who gives it to us, uh, 95% winning re-election for president. In a fourth seven-year term, wow, isn't that fantastic? Just completely unbelievable, but a fantastic achievement. So it just shows you what dictators can do uh, who control all the means of news, uh, the publication of news, the gathering of news, who control the votes. And it reminds you of Joseph Stalin. It's not the people who vote who count. It's the people who count the votes.
0: It's very interesting that this type of an election operation is not only happening that way in Syria, but Iran as well. The Ayatollah, he is the supreme leader, appoints those who will be able to run for president. And it looks like they have put up the hardliners on the presidential polls, uh, barring some of the hopefuls who wanted to be a possible candidate for president of iran but it's only showing the direction the philosophy of the iranians isn't it Uh, it
1: it is but uh, the iranian elections are different from those in syria there is some form of competition amongst regime supporters that's the important thing to qualify as a candidate they had something like 400 candidates and only i think six or nine of them were qualified by the council of guardians this oversight body To qualify, you have to support the regime, you have to support the notion of the uh, Islamic jurisprudent, in other words, the supreme guide, uh, the Islamic Republic. Uh, And there were many um, uh, candidates who did not, so they were disqualified. So now we've got a bunch of hardliners running against each other. Interestingly, they also disqualified Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, the former president, a very populist and popular, believe it or not, president, uh, and they didn't. They don't have to give any reasons for disqualifying this person. So you're going to have competition amongst hardliners. Probably what that will lead to is a very low turnout in the election. I've heard numbers as low as 30%. Uh, in elections where there's serious competition, the Iranians can get up to 60% or even higher turnout. But this one looks like it's going to be a low turnout event.
0: Quick answer, if you will, Ken. Do you think that this Iranian election will slow down The revival of the Iranian nuclear deal that President Biden wants to make happen?
1: Yes, it looks like the Supreme Leader, uh, Khamenei, uh, wants to delay a little bit. He would like the new president, whoever that is, to take credit for whatever deal is struck with the United States and the world community.
0: So that is a political move calculated by the leadership, the true leadership, the Supreme Leader of Iran. Ken Timmerman, the man who covers geopolitical activities across the world at our broadcast table today, giving us the analysis he is so capable of giving. Ken, thank you so very much. Appreciate it. Great insight. We'll talk again next week.
1: Jimmy, it's always my pleasure. God
0: bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He'll come to the broadcast table with his Middle East News update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
2: Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com.
0: I want to remind you that I do have a website. It's prophecytoday.com. This is a full service website. It will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. For example, I have a prophecy bookstore with a number of materials that will help you as you study through the prophetic passages of God's Word. I have a number of books, DVD documentaries, and five-hour audio series on the subject of Bible prophecy. I have a prophecy Q&A section, and then I list the top 10 news stories on a daily basis. These are news stories that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And I will give you a prophetic perspective on those news stories. That website that you should bookmark is prophecytoday.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. This next interview is going to be with David Dolan. I promised that he would give us his Middle East News update. David will come to the broadcast table in a moment. I want to remind you that Dr. Don DeYoung is going to be talking to us about solar storms and how that may affect the world, especially the Earth here in the United States, what that means. And then David James and I will have our weekly conversation, exhortation to teach the young people the word of God, children and teenagers especially, preparing them for the next generation. Now to my good friend and longtime broadcast partner, David Dolan. David Israel has a right to defend itself despite what the Democrats are saying I'm talking about the recent poll that said most of the Democrats are blaming Israel for what happened and standing with Hamas. But Israel has a right to defend themselves, do they not?
3: Well, I would say that's fairly obvious. Any sovereign country on Earth that is attacked uh, with rockets and missiles and other things obviously uh, is going to respond Uh, that includes the united states and everywhere and jimmy as you say though we see in the democratic party in america a slide in support for israel it used to be that the democrats were the most vocally supportive of israel and less so in the republican party that used to be more isolationist but those roles have changed And, Jimmy, what worries the Israelis most about that is not the few politicians making statements, but the polls showing that this is reflective of the change amongst the demographics in America, that younger Americans, in particular, are far less supportive of Israel than older Americans. The strongest support group is 65 and older, and the weakest uh, is in the 20s and 30s, uh, young Americans. And, Jimmy, this goes along, they believe, with the trend amongst young people to uh, support more socialism, to support more uh, world causes, and many, in fact, it was in some of the interviews, many saw this as uh, the war with Hamas is uh, akin to the black-white struggle in the United States, and this is this is oppression, and this is imperialism, and, you know, these uh, the Israelis are occupiers, and this sort of thing. So... That worries the Israelis the most, is that uh, not just one party, but in the country as a whole, there is eroding support amongst younger Americans, the polls
0: show. And that recent poll put out there in Israel itself. That's what uh, David James and I will be discussing as we talk about exhorting the church to teach young people the prophetic Word of God, all the doctrines found in the Word of God. Let's go back to the ceasefire just a moment, David. Do you think it's going to stick, or is it about to fall apart?
3: No, Jimmy, it looks fairly solid. It's been uh, over a week now since it came into effect, and Talks are going on in Cairo between Israeli and Hamas representatives, not sitting directly, uh, Egypt being the mediator, and they're in different places. But there seems to be a desire on Hamas's part to hold to the ceasefire at this time. They did lose, as we've said, about 10%, maybe 15% of their rockets, uh, a lot of damage to their infrastructure, their underground tunnel network, and they need a little bit of time to lick their wounds but they've made it clear this week that they intend to go back to war. A senior Hamas leader said the Jews have no right to be in the Middle East. This is a Arabic area, he said. Everybody knows that. And these are Western imperialists that came in and took our homes and this sort of thing. The fight will go on. So. They see that, that, Jimmy, the Israelis are concerned about the efforts to rebuild Gaza. Tony Blinken, the U.S. Secretary of State in Jerusalem this week, and other world leaders saying aid will be flowing. Qatar announced they'll give $500 million for post-war reconstruction in Gaza. But Blinken said, we're going to make sure this doesn't go to Hamas, that it goes to just the people of Gaza well, you know, you do that, you free up Hamas to spend the money it should be spending on its own people, its own schools, its own rebuilding. They can spend that then on rebuilding their military infrastructure instead. So there's no way that this foreign aid doesn't help Hamas, and they know it, and uh, the world's going to shower them with money kind of a reward for attacking Jerusalem and Tel Aviv and these other areas. and. The Israelis, of course, want to see the people of Gaza survive and do well and eat and have power and all these different things, but they know that that is at the expense of another round of fighting coming at some point, and that is expected, although not immediately, hopefully.
0: The president of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, met with Secretary Blinken as well, and he was calling for an end to the Jewish Temple Mount visitation saying that the rights to the ceasefire call for no Jews onto the Temple Mount. I don't think that's going to happen to you.
3: Well, definitely not, Jimmy. And again, this goes along with this continuing Palestinian authority line. Hamas agrees with it, Hezbollah, Iran, they all agree that there never was uh, a Jewish state in that area. There never was a Jewish capital in Jerusalem, uh, King David didn't exist, and the ancient temples were mosques, this sort of thing. Uh, they've been saying this for years. Well, of course, that's absurd. Uh, Israel's one of the oldest countries on Earth. Even though it disappeared for 2,000 years, it was reconstructed. In 1948, became a sovereign nation again. Over 3,000 years, Jews have been involved with Jerusalem. Their temples were there. The archaeological proof is overwhelming. So this is just nonsense. And to say that Jews can't go into what is their holiest site on earth is just a chutzpah, they say. In Hebrew, it's just ridiculous. Uh, if Israelis were saying, hey, you can't go to Mecca, uh, you know, we had people there, this sort of thing. We don't see any connection to, to Mecca between you. I mean, that would be ridiculous. The world would laugh, and the same should be true here. Um, it just shows, though, Jimmy, that there is no room for real peace in their heart. If they're going to prevent Jews from going to the Temple Mount, then there might as well just be the final war, because that will only come
0: war. Let me remind everybody there are two factions of the body politic of the Palestinian people, Hamas, in the Gaza Strip, Fatah, center part of the state there just north of Jerusalem in Ramallah. This last week, both factions were speaking out, Hamas, saying that they have over 10,000 terrorists who are ready to strap on suicide belts and die for the cause, and meanwhile, the Fatah leaders are saying they're going to continue their cycle of blood and killing. That does not sound good for the future, does it, David?
3: It does not, Jimmy. We've had some very, very strong statements coming from all of the Hamas leaders over the past week that, again, reiterate that Israel must be completely wiped out. But really, even though the PLO signed a peace treaty with Israel in 1993, uh, the statement that you just quoted from Abbas, about Jerusalem, the Temple Mount shows the same thing. So this is sad. But Jimmy, the overall Hamas leader, Ismail Haniya, it was revealed on Friday that his niece, his 17-year-old niece, during the fighting, uh, was rushed to Tel Aviv's Ikelov Hospital for a bone marrow transplant. She has cancer. It became very bad, and she needed immediate attention. He was brought into the hospital, treated humanely, is still there actually being treated. This is the niece of the Hamas senior leader that wants to see Israel destroyed. It just shows the value systems of the two peoples are very, very different, and uh, their perspectives are very different. It's sad, Jimmy, that Israel has to deal with this. They have to deal with it, and again, if it were just Hamas, That would be one thing. It's Hamas backed by Hezbollah and both backed by Iran, Turkey, and other powers in the uh, world. So that's just the sad reality. Israel has to keep preparing, keep alert, and be always ready for the next cycle of violence.
0: David, I've got about 30 seconds left going back to the demographics here in the United States and the U.S. Congress Netanyahu made a statement this week, I think, confirms what we were talking about. Israel will have to act to counter Iran's nuclear threat without the United States. What are your thoughts? Basically true?
3: Well, and the U.N. uh, said that uh, indeed the Iranians are enriching uranium for military purposes. That's the first time they've admitted that. Uh, Yes, the Israelis, if they have to go alone, Netanyahu's made that clear many times they will do so. They don't want that. They want the backing of the U.S. and Europe and others. But, Jimmy, this is a life and death matter. This is an existential issue. Israel, with one nuclear bomb, as one leader said this week, could be wiped out just from one bomb. They can't take that chance. And Iran is, seems determined to press forward with this nuclear program.
0: That's the voice of David Dolan, longtime journalist in the Middle East, brain's great insight into the current events as we talk with him on a weekly basis david thank you so very much great great information you've given us appreciate it we'll have another conversation next week glad to do it jimmy god bless going to take a quick break when we come back winky madad standing by we're going to talk in depth about the ceasefire and the statement by Mahmoud abbas related to the temple mount it's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
2: Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com.
0: Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee, home for a couple of days. Then we head out to Mullins, South Carolina, the First Baptist Church there on Sunday and Monday, June 6 and 7. Love to have you come if you are in that listening area to study the prophetic word of God with us. That's First Baptist Church, Mullins, South Carolina, June 6 and 7. Right now, as promised, we go to Winky Madad, center part of the state of Israel, to a place called Shiloh, it is a historic biblical location, and from that spot we get Winky to give us commentary, his insight, analysis of what is going on in that part of the world. During the break, I was telling Winky, we're having a weekly conversation now, and it's not my fault. Israel is so active in all of the things of this world, politics, military, war action, et cetera, et cetera. And in fact, even hosting the Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, he came in this week. And Winky, how did that conversation go between all the parties and the Secretary of State?
4: Well, for us, uh, speaking in Israeli, the most important part was the fact that he indicated that they did not want, the United States did not want, and many of the European nations did not want the forthcoming aid to help uh, Gaza get itself back together again to go through Hamas, uh, which is what Israel has been saying for the past 20 years almost, that if you simply allow Hamas to effectively rule the Gaza Strip, uh, they will be not only skimming, they will be taking huge amounts of these foreign aid uh, contributions and donations and build rockets and underground tunnels and hideouts for their leaders, and the health concerns, the education concerns, and the hygiene, uh, the water concerns of Gaza comes uh, at best maybe fifth or sixth in their scale of priorities, and very soon we'll have another round of hostilities because they fabricate reasons, whether it's Jerusalem or something else, in order to keep their people's mind off the fact that Hamas is not serving them very well.
0: Is the ceasefire holding at this point in time, Winky?
4: It has been very, very few violations, if at all, I think less than half a dozen maybe, Uh, nothing really serious, but we do not know how it will hold up, because usually Hamas tries to make, if not intolerable, almost impossible demands to be met uh, along the way. For example... Uh, We know that Egypt now is getting into the negotiating or the moderating aspect of it. Israel would very much like to get four Israelis back. Two of them are dead, as far as we know. There were soldiers who were killed in an operation. And two of them who crossed the border into Gaza, we think they were mentally disturbed. And that would be a humane gesture. We haven't seen a humane humanitarian gesture from Hamas ever for Israel and that would be a good way of uh, sort of maybe beginning to roll back things but I'm not going to be that optimistic about it at this point.
0: I understand that uh, president of the Palestinian Authority Mahmoud Abbas is saying that the ceasefire includes the Temple Mount in Jerusalem and he says that would then mean that Jews are not allowed up onto the Temple Mount. What are your thoughts about that statement coming from Abbas?
4: Well, uh, you know, to be generous, I think it's silly, but this is a program for believers, so I will uh, try to keep in the mainstream. I can tell you that this past week, over 800 Jews, and I'm talking about observant Jews, that keep a special route around the perimeter of the Temple Mount compound so as not to stray into the more sacred portions, which observant Jews uh, feel we are not allowed to enter at this time. We're up on the Temple Mount. So he could talk about it, and he could even complain to Mr. Blinken or to anybody else that at the present moment, we have a status quo. It means that Jews can visit, they can't pray. And so, and when we mean pray, we talk about a public prayer. We don't talk about people murmuring to themselves various psalms or other prayers. So it's not to be that provocative, even though with Mr. Abbas he thinks we have dirty feet that defile Uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, in his opinion.
0: I think it was very good news that the Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, made the statement the United States wants to try to make sure that some of the reconstruction monies given to the Gaza Strip will not end up in funding terrorism in any way, shape, or form. However, the United States should have thought about that before President Biden renewed funding to the Palestinian Authority, over $250 million worth of that. Let me ask this question, pretty pointed question, because I understand the IDF has been doing some reevaluation evaluation of the destruction on Hamas in the Gaza Strip. What does that evaluation mean? Is it simply a time for Hamas to regroup, rearm, and come again to attack the Jewish state?
4: Well, Jimmy, there are three basic problems involved there in which the IDF and other security organizations involved have to pay attention to. Number one is to disallow the diversion of funds and goods and equipment and material to Hamas. We know by their own admission that pipes have been cut up in order to serve as launching vehicles for these uh, rockets. Cement has been taken from building buildings to building tunnels. Someone has to be supervising this. Uh, That's the one problem that the, the IDF has to pay attention to. The second is a little bit more intelligence exactly where these senior Hamas officials are hiding and perhaps exploiting any future violation of the ceasefire to take out one or two of them as a warning. And third, to prevent Iran from continuing to fund, train, and educate uh, Hamas operatives in advanced rocketry and other terror operations, which is what they've been doing for the past few years, including drones, including uh, other advanced technology uh, that they're getting in there, and it's obvious they're not getting it from themselves, they're getting it from the
0: outside. Great insight, Winky. Three main points as it relates to helping keep some type of calm between Hamas there in the Gaza Strip and the Israeli Defense Force. Well, let me quickly turn to politics just for a moment. What about the ceasefires that help uh, to bring back the opportunity for a coalition government to be formed very quickly now, or is it the fifth election upcoming?
4: Well, at the present moment as we speak, Jimmy, Mr. Naftali Bennett, who runs a party called to the right and lately has been going to the left, has once again sort of, uh, how can I say, disconnected himself from Netanyahu as he could and once again is negotiating with the, what we call here in Israel, the change block which is headed by uh, Yair Lapid's uh, party, Gidon Saar, the Labor Party, and the Merit's party. But again, the numbers are basically not with anybody, and we're still sort of out on a limb, literally, waiting to find out, will Mr. Lapid make a chance to form a coalition before his mandate runs out, or it's up in the air again.
0: Up in the air again with a possible fifth election. See, Winky, that's why we have to have a weekly conversation. You guys can never settle things down there in the Middle East. Well, we so appreciate your giving us the insight, input that you do on this weekly basis. Thank you so much, Winky. Appreciate it. And again, I say we will have to have another conversation, most likely next week.
4: Jimmy, thank you again for having me on the program, and goodbye to you and our listeners.
0: Winky Madad with a very insightful report uh, about the ceasefire, and also the statements by Mahmoud Abbas that no Jews can go onto the Temple Mount. That is not going to happen, or it will be a full-out war, the last war before the return of the Messiah. Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to go to John Root, a different region of the world, but it's a key region. John has lived in the area of the European Union there in Brussels, Belgium, for over 30 years. He knows this part of the world very, very well. He is a prophecy teacher as well. He travels across the United States and around the world, teaching the prophetic word of God, but it's great to have John along on a weekly basis to give us a look at the political. We look at the political in light of what the prophetic scenario calls for. And John, thank you for being available to us. Let me begin by talking about the fact that what would the European Union have done Had Hamas gone ahead with those elections, Mahmoud Abbas not canceling the Palestinian elections, and Hamas being the winner, put it together with what's going on, how would the European Union have handled that?
5: The situation with Hamas, of course, uh, we have 4,300 missiles that were targeted on Israel, and yet the European Union and the United Nations, uh, they have not actually come against Hamas as the terrorist group that it is. And so um, Palestinian Authority elections have actually given power in the past to Hamas, which is a terrorist group. And so we see that Hamas should not have any representation with their mandate to destroy Israel. They should not have any, any representation in a democratic process. But the European Union and the U.N. have not come against Hamas as a terrorist organization. So this is a a fundamental question, which uh, allows a a great deal of uh, response that we should be concerned and that they should not be actively supporting such a group, obviously.
0: John, here in America, there is widespread Palestinian demonstrations across the United States, the Democratic Party and the United States Congress changing from pro-Israel to pro-Hamas, pro-Palestinian, but it's causing in the streets of America a number of demonstrations, and some of them pretty violent. In fact, in Times Square in New York City, an attack on a Jew almost killed the Jewish man. Is that happening? Is the influence of the Muslim world spreading into the United States, the European Union, resulting in Uh, these demonstrations, pro-Palestinian, anti-Israel there in Europe as well?
5: Yes, uh, we've seen the escalation in the United States that uh, first what was a uh, protest against the war in Gaza has now been generally an anti-Semitic phase that has been uh, growing in Europe and in the United States. So uh, some clear things should be decided, especially the fact that Hamas is a terrorist group.
0: Interesting that Ireland has made a very interesting statement. They're the first European Union state to accuse Israel of de facto annexation. I'm not sure what that actually means, that term. Can you explain it and tell us why Ireland speaking out about it?
5: I was just thinking last week, why is it that Ireland in particular is consistently anti-Israel? And we see here, as you've said, that Ireland is actually the first European Union member to officially accuse Israel of annexation unequivocally. The statements from Ireland have not been acceptable, and it's surprising that Ireland has come out so consistently against Israel They did, as a matter, vote down a motion to expel Israel's ambassador, but at the same time, they overwhelmingly approved a resolution that Israel is making annexation
0: in the West Bank. We do know that Ireland is predominantly Catholic, and of course, Catholicism calls for a replacement theology, that the Catholic Church has replaced God's plan for the Jewish people in his word. We've had discussions with others about that. It is not true. God still has a plan, and it's an eternal plan that God has for the Jewish people. Well, one final thought for you, John. It looks like that the EU is pushing for a change in Russia's regime. The EU parliament has Reveal that how irrelevant or unrelated it is for the future of the European Union rule. Why does the European Parliament, and I know they're different than the leadership of the European Union, why do they want to change the regime in Russia?
5: Russia has reacted to the European Parliament, and ironically it's pointed out that the European Parliament is a group of unelected officials which is not actually the case. The parliamentarians are elected, but they're the only only group in the entire European Union hierarchy which is elected. And so the European Parliament has begun to stand up against Russia in recent days. Russia has actually come against uh, some of those actions. And speaking of the EU's, in particular, total irrelevance and... Uh, Yes, they're magnifying some of the weak points of the European Union. The European Union has come out and saying that Russia needs to be protected from Putin. And Russia, of course, is very reluctant for any external governments. And we do see that the European Union has begun to step up on this particular uh, area, and it's a very sensitive one. But we do see that the European Parliament, which historically has very little powers, is beginning to make some opinions, although it's not necessarily followed up by the European Commission or the Council of Ministers, and yet uh, Russia is concerned by the action in Europe. And so, of course, we remember that the European Parliament was sanctioned as an entire group, every individual, by Russia. And so this is probably the main reason that the European uh, Parliament is reacting and so it's a part of the balance of power, but uh, Russia is concerned about the European Union.
0: John Rood, the man who covers the European Union for us, we look at the political to understand how the prophetic is coming into place, as foretold by the ancient Jewish prophets. John, thank you so very much. We'll have another conversation next week.
5: Thank you very much. My pleasure.
0: John Rude, with his very important European Union update. This is an essential report each and every week. John helps us to watch politically the European Union as prophetically it is, I do believe, evolving into the revived Roman Empire, a key player in the end times. Right now, though, on Prophecy Today, we're going to go to Dr. Don DeYoung. Don is a scientist, an astronomer, written a book on astronomy and the Bible. And, Don, I understand you just returned from Arizona. You were in a board meeting out there. What board do you serve on? And tell us a bit about that ministry.
6: Well, thank you, Jimmy. Uh, Yes, that group is called the Creation Research Society. Uh, it's been going for about 70 years. It's one of the older creation groups in the country. We're kind of worldwide with 1,500 members, both um, scientists and uh, and regular people. What we do is we uh, encourage uh, creation research, looking for evidence for the flood. We look at space. We look at plants. We have a laboratory in Arizona, we also fund research, and so it's that whole exciting area of apologetics, uh, representing in a positive way evidence for biblical creation.
0: Don, do you have a website for that organization?
6: Well, yes, there is a website, it would just be uh, creationresearch.org, and uh, there you'd find lists of our publications and our current board, that kind of information.
0: Well, of course, Don, as I already said, is a scientist and an astronomer. I guess I'm one of those regular people that he was talking about. I sure do enjoy having a conversation with Don. He got me excited about becoming a heaven watcher, looking at the stars, looking at the moon. That's what his book will help you to do. By the way, it's a great read. You don't have to read the entire book at one sitting. But if you have a question about something as it relates to the heavens, the stars, the moon, the sun, etc., you can go to the book and find out the answer. But I like to go to the source itself, so we bring Don to this broadcast table. And Don, I want to talk about a couple of things with you. First of all, the Superflower Blood Moon Eclipse. Now, that's a mouthful, I can guarantee you. But I want you to go back and individually define each of those. What is a supermoon? What's a super about it?
6: Well, certainly, Jimmy, Uh, supermoon just refers to uh, the times on the calendar when the moon is a bit closer to us because of its orbit. It uh, moves in and out somewhat as it orbits the Earth. And so supermoon, when it's at its minimum distance, now, it's still a quarter million miles away. It does get a few percent um, larger in size when it's closer to us. Really, not enough to notice, but that gets the idea of a supermoon. Of course, uh, there's those other words. Uh, when there's an eclipse, that's when the moon moves through the uh, Earth's shadow. And uh, it can get kind of a, a brownish or orangish color. Some people would call it red as if it's a blood moon. And uh, that's catching light that bends around the, the Earth and lights up the moon a little bit. Other words involved with it, um, that, so that's the blood moon. Actually, uh, Jimmy, there's moon eclipses aren't that unusual. It happens every year or so. We, we did have one just recently, uh, a week ago. There'll be another one in the fall. There'll be another one next year. And uh, so they're always talking about, you know, the special uh, eclipse and a full moon and a blood moon, but really it's not that um, unique not that unusual it's all part of the faithful motion of the moon's orbit
0: well you defined all of it except one thought don the flower blood moon what does it mean flower
6: oh oh yes well every month and it happens about 12 times a year of the full moon they put a, a, a name on it and uh, actually i think someone came up with these names not a lot long ago they probably showed up in ben franklin's uh, farmer's almanac but uh, that happens in May, the flower moon, which simply kind of has the full moon at the time when flowers are budding and, uh, and coming out. Not that the moon causes that, but it's just the spring situation. Likewise, in the fall, there's a harvest moon. And so every month of the year, a name is come up with just to kind of give a little uh, illustration to uh, that particular full moon.
0: Well, I sure do love that time when the flowers are coming out. You look up into the heavenlies and see God's glory. You look at his flowers. That's part of his creation. And every flower that I watch in our garden, just outside our home, is just so precious, so beautiful, giving me evidence of God's creative capabilities through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about with you, Don, was solar storms and I've been reading that there's somewhat of a threat to Earth, not necessarily Earthlings, but to the Earth itself. What is a solar storm, Don?
6: Well, a solar storm occurs when the sun becomes extra active. We're not sure why, but the sun uh, uh, acts up uh, on an 11-year cycle. It'll quiet down, and then 11 years later, uh, then it sort of increases with sunspots, and solar prominences, and giving off uh, radiation. And so it's an interesting long-term cycle. And uh, we're just heading into another, it would be called a solar maximum, uh, uh, probably uh, 2024-25, so we're kind of ramping up to it. Uh, Again, uh, more sunspots, more radiation. Now, when we call it a solar storm, it's also called space weather, it's, and it's, it's not that it's the, the wind and the kind of storms we have on the earth. Really, it's uh, invisible radiation that comes our way. It's sometimes called a geomagnetic storm. Uh, when this happens, when the sun becomes active, uh, more radiation coming our way, and it has a number of effects on the earth. It can uh, get tangled up with um, our magnetic field, and it can make compasses act erratic. Uh, it uh, can interfere with the electronics of um, satellites uh, and GPS, uh, and uh, it even causes uh, uh, increased aurora or northern lights. So it definitely does affect um, uh, pl- planet Earth here, since we are kind of on the fringe of that magnificent
0: sun. I've also read that it cripples sometimes power grids here on the Earth and radio communications Having been in broadcasting as managers of different radio stations, including New York City, across the years, I know we had to deal with, I guess you would call it the solar storms or sunspots as it relates to our broadcast signal. And it's had some harm to airline crews who may be inundated with this radiation that you're talking about. Could it be dangerous in all of these areas?
6: Well, certainly that radiation is electrically charged and it can interfere with communications and power grids. It can shut things down. And uh, that increased radiation high in the atmosphere uh, is not uh, beneficial, especially to, uh, let's say, airline personnel that are spending a lot of time, five miles high. What's interesting, Jimmy, is down here on the ground, we are protected from this radiation radiation. Uh, the Earth is surrounded by this invisible magnetic field, and that deflects the radiation and um, sends it away. It's another, I think, of uh, interesting uh, invisible shield that God has put in place for us. So uh, the magnetic field is important to us, and that's why a lot of this radiation is shunted toward the north or the south, causing uh, the aurora, but of course we don't have people at the poles to speak of, and so that's a safe place um, to, to insert it. So yes, as the sun acts up, uh, there is more radiation around, just showing us a glimpse of how powerful that sun actually is.
0: You know, every conversation I have with you, Don, is an explanation of how God's glory is displayed in the heavenlies, as it says there in Psalm 19. He continues to help us realize he's still in charge, even in these the last days. Does he not, Don?
6: Well, very true, Jimmy, and you know, these things are so predictable when there'll be an eclipse, when there'll be a solar storm. I start to think about uh, your area of prophecy uh, when it talks about the heavens uh, acting erratically. Uh, at that time, you know, these things in the heaven will not be following the rules that we trust and that we depend on. When God takes charge, things will change up there, and again, that'll be very uh, fearful to people who, uh, who don't know the Lord.
0: Dr. Don DeYoung. You can understand, folks, why I always enjoy having a conversation with my namesake. Don, just a great time to be able to talk with you. I'm so glad you had a good meeting out in Arizona and had safe trip back home, and we'll look forward to another conversation with you as things in the heavenlies are in creation itself come on display to help us understand our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, Don. Talk to you again real soon. Thank you, Jimmy. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back after the news, we have one more broadcast partner, David James. We're going to be talking about how the young need to be taught so they will understand how to live in case they do live into the next generation. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. We need 30 more minutes to make the 90 minutes that I have requested for you to join us here on Prophecy today weekend to understand what current events are doing to help us recognize how close we are to the rapture of the church. David James will come Mike's side in a moment. I want to remind you that I have a poll question. My poll question is on my website on the home page. Scroll down on the left hand side. Here's the question: Proverbs twenty two six tells us to train up our children from the Word of God so that when they get older, they will not depart from His way, a biblical way. Do you believe that means that we should teach our children about the rapture and the second coming as well? That's the poll question. Be sure to go to my website, Prophecy Today, and answer that question. Next weekend, June 6 and 7, we'll be at the First Baptist Church in Mullins, South Carolina. Hope to see you there to study the prophetic Word of God. We now bring to this microphone David James on a weekly basis. David and I get together to have a conversation focused on an issue that confronts the body of Christ we want to bring biblical and prophetic information from God's Word to the table for our discussion. And the topic this week, the need to teach the Word of God to the next generation. You want to stay tuned. That's going to be a very important discussion. But David, one of our listeners gave us a question this week discussing the book of Revelation again for the third week in a row. And this time it's about a battle at the end of the millennium, as described there in Chapter 20 of the Book of Revelation.
7: That's right, Jimmy, and this is what our listener wrote. I am writing about the Gog and Magog War. Will there be two such wars? Revelation 20 talks about one after the millennium, but Ezekiel 38 and 39 also talks about a Gog-Magog war. So, Jimmy, uh, Revelation 27 and 8 says this, Now, when the thousand years have expired, meaning after the millennium, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as of the sand of the sea. Then Ezekiel 38, 1 and 2 says this, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Then in the next chapter, in verse 11, we read, It will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel, the valley of those who pass by east of the sea, and it will obstruct travelers because they will bury Gog and all his multitude." So in Ezekiel, Jimmy, Gog is the leader of a coalition of what are now Islamic nations, and Magog refers to his people and nation. And this battle takes place before the millennium, and I would say fairly early on in Daniel's 70th week, the tribulation period, and I'm guessing it may be sparked in connection to the temple being rebuilt in Jerusalem and the USA collapsing due to the rapture. That's just, my opinion, is a possibility. And I think the Revelation battle over a thousand years later is a metaphorical reference to what will be the epic Ezekiel 38-39 war, because in both of them, God miraculously defeats his enemies. And I, as I've heard you say, Jimmy, sometimes battles are referred to as a General's Waterloo, for example, uh, because of the epic battle there where Wellington dramatically defeated Napoleon.
0: You know, I like your opinion on that question, David. I'm pretty much exactly on target with what you had to say there. Before we get to our main topic, I also wanted you to mention a brand new book that you had an opportunity to contribute to, and it's just been published and is now available. Tell us about this book.
7: Well, our regular listeners may remember that last year I was one of a small group of guys who started forming a new ministry called the International Society for Biblical Hermeneutics, and from the ISBH website, our stated goal is to advance sound biblical hermeneutics by encouraging and equipping Bible teachers in grammatical historical hermeneutics and developing resources for Bible teachers and students. So back in January, we hosted a symposium over Zoom on current issues in soteriology Uh, Which is the doctrine of salvation. And there were many papers presented by some great Bible teachers. And now, Paul Miles, an American missionary to Ukraine and the one who's really spearheading all this, compiled these papers into a book that's now available on Kindle for free through Sunday evening on Amazon. And then the price goes up to a very affordable 99 cents. And I contributed three chapters, with the first being Justification Are Evangelicals and Catholics Really Together? And the second one is salvation in Eastern and Western Catholicism compared and contrasted, which compares salvation in Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy. And the third is the Lordship Salvation Conundrum, Regeneration Preceding Faith. So I hope our listeners will check it out on Amazon. I've seen that over 300 have uh, purchased it already since it just came out a couple of days ago, and it's called Current Issues in Soteriology.
0: That's great, a little a bit of information there, and I think I could afford 99 cents to to make my purchase of the book if I don't get it before Sunday evening. Well, that's great, and we appreciate any effort to try to help especially pastors understand the prophetic word of God and the proper approach to looking into the prophetic passages. Well, this week we came across a story, which I sent you, David, that has me and now you as well concerned because there seems to be a dramatic overall drop in support for Israel among the younger generation of evangelicals. Talk to us about this.
7: Well, on Tuesday, the Times of Israel ran an article support for Israel among U.S. evangelical Christians drops sharply, and I agree it's definitely a cause for concern related to the future of evangelicalism if the trend continues. And the summary overview of the article said this, since 2018, backing for Israel dropped from 75 percent to 33 percent. Nearly half of evangelicals aged 18 to 29 say they favor establishment of a Palestinian state and voted for Biden over Trump. And then the article went on to say a new survey points to a growing divide in the U.S. between young evangelical Christians and their elders, particularly in their views on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict indicating Israel could see a significant drop in support in coming years. So, Jimmy, this survey was done by the Barna Group as part of research for an upcoming book on the issue, and the article continued with this. While the religious group, meaning evangelicals, has long been a bulwark of support for Israel in the U.S., the poll commissioned by researchers at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke indicates a sharp drop in support for the Jewish state, and raises concerns that Israel could lose a key ally going forward. And, Jimmy, in that poll, over 700 evangelicals, aged 18 to 29 of those, just under 34 percent said they supported Israel, and uh, around 24 percent said they supported the Palestinians, and 42 percent said neither side, but back as late as 2018, uh, 69% in that age range said they sided with Israel, and less than 6 said they sided with the Palestinians, and 25% said they didn't take either side. Now, the head of uh, Christian Knesset Caucus has said the poll isn't accurate because the children of evangelicals aren't evangelical themselves and aren't practicing Christians, but actually that's the point, because they self-identify as evangelicals.
0: Well, David, of course, this drop in support for Israel is troubling. But these things don't just happen in a vacuum. In fact, it's happening in the context of changes in social and political views as well, is it not?
7: Well, yeah, you're right, Jimmy. And one of the things I talk about when I'm teaching about current theological issues is that we all hold our doctrine, what we believe in, what I call theological packages. So, for example... What we believe about Christ is connected to what we believe about sin and salvation, and what we believe about sin and salvation is connected to what we believe about man and the Holy Spirit. And these things are connected to what we believe about the Bible and the Church and even the end times. What we believe is part of our worldview, and our worldview is also shaped by the culture and what we've been taught. So, Jimmy, as culture evolves, if our young people aren't grounded in the Word of God, then the philosophy of the world and the influence of culture will overpower and overcome whatever influence the Church might have had in their lives. And so we're seeing this, as you suggest, that this shift in thinking about Israel corresponds to a social and political shift. And again, from the article, 46% of the respondents voted for Biden compared to only 26% for Trump. And additionally, almost 50% said they are or lean Democrat while only about 40 percent said they are or lean toward the Republican Party and 20 percent said they didn't vote at all.
0: So, David, what do you see as some implications of this trajectory for the future of our country, both in terms of what this could mean for Israel as well as for our country?
7: Well, Jimmy, I think the implications are huge. For one thing, the United States is, at least humanly speaking, Israel's only true protector in the world. And beyond that, as you and I believe, the Abrahamic covenant is still in effect because it's unconditional and eternal. And as we've often referred to the seven promises God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, Uh, Just a reminder to our listeners, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So because of God's faithfulness to Israel, every nation that's ever taken a political and or military stand against the Jewish people has ended up on the wrong side of history with disastrous consequences. And as you and I have also discussed, especially during elections, while the names of candidates are on the ballots, in reality, we're also voting for a platform and therefore the trajectory in the future as envisioned by the party as a whole. So while we try to be careful to stick to the issues in light of Scripture and not cross the line into politics and endorsing specific candidates per se, there are broad and clear differences between two major party platforms in general. And this is just a fact, whether we're talking about the right to life or the LGBT agenda or national security in terms of both internal and external threats or our education system or cancel culture, the list just goes on and
0: on. Okay. Now then having said all of that, David, as we wrap it up and thinking about where we are headed, what do you think needs to happen in our churches, in our Christian schools, and in fact, even in our homes, to affect some biblical course corrections in these trajectories?
7: Well, Jimmy, I personally tend to think it's so obvious that to some it may even appear to be simplistic and naive, but I've said for a long time, everything is theological. Everything is about what we believe. Not just what we claim to believe, but what we really believe is it affects our lives and the decisions we make every day. And our pastors and our teachers and our parents need to return to clear, expository teaching that's rooted in a biblical hermeneutic, a literal, grammatical, historical means of interpreting the Bible. This means taking the entire word of God seriously from Genesis to Revelation, and it means teaching doctrine consistently, whether it's the doctrine of the Bible itself as the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God, or it's about man and sin, or the Savior and salvation, or the Church, Israel, and the world in the end times. In Romans ten seventeen, we read that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And in 2 Timothy 3, Paul says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the key.
0: That's great, David. And the only thing I might add to that from a teacher's perspective was that we need to start teaching children and even teenagers right now with the prophetic word of God, uh, the overall biblical truths found there. If we don't teach young people, in fact, if we're not able to do that, we're going to have a problem in the next generation. We don't need to entertain them. We need to teach them the Word of God. Well, great thoughts that you've given us today, David. I've so appreciated it. Thank you so much for doing the research. And uh, thank you for participating with us. Be sure to come back next week, buddy. We'll have another conversation.
7: I will. Glad to do it, Jimmy.
0: We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back after the break, I'm going to look at the reports from my broadcast partners. I'll give you a prophetic perspective on those reports. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
7: Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you.
0: It's time right now, here on Prophecy Today weekend, for us to take a look at the book. On PTW, we were able to hear details behind current events that mainstream media is not reporting. My broadcast partners, with vast experience and knowledge of current events, came to my broadcast table to give us those details. I will rehearse the lead story in their reports when I give you my prophetic perspective on the news in just a moment. By the way, if you had to miss any of these reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, where we have archived the reports so that you'll be able to listen to them at your convenience. That's prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. And be sure to tell a friend about these reports. Now, let me give you my prophetic perspective on each of these reports from my broadcast partners. Ken Timmerman, who looks at geopolitical activities around the world for us, discussed with me a recent poll that says, in the United States Congress here in America, most Democrats are standing with Hamas and blaming Israel for the recent conflict in the Middle East. At the same time, 67% of Republicans are standing with Israel. You know, it's dangerous to stand against Israel and with its enemies. Israel God's chosen people, will play out a plan that God has for these people forever. And remember Genesis chapter 12, it says, you bless the Jewish people and you will be blessed, you curse the Jewish people, and you will be cursed. That is a very important promise that you must consider in all that you say about the Jewish state. David Dolan has his Middle East News update for us. This is an essential report for each of us who are students of Bible prophecy. You know, Israel has a right to defend itself. That's the question I ask David. Do the Jewish people have a right to defend themselves? Well, indeed, Israel does have a right to defend itself. Doesn't matter what any political leader or party says, even the President Joe Biden. But I want you to remember at the same time, though Israel is capable today of defending themselves, ultimately in the end, God will intercede to take care of his people. In fact, their name, Israel, means God will fight for them. As it relates to the Middle East alignment of nations upcoming in the first portion of the tribulation period, God tells us in Ezekiel chapter thirty-eight, verses eighteen to chapter thirty-nine, verse six, that he will indeed protect his Jewish people, his chosen people. Winky Madad, a broadcast partner, par excellent joins us to give his insight about issues confronting the Jewish people. Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the Palestinian Authority, made the statement this week that the ceasefire includes the Temple Mount and Jews cannot enter the Temple Mount. Well, the Temple Mount is the most sacred piece of real estate for the Jewish people. God has a plan for the Jews to be able to control that Temple Mount forever. In fact, Second Samuel chapter 7, the Davidic covenant, the Lord tells the Jews that this piece of real estate, Jerusalem and the Temple Mount, will belong to them forever. Nobody will be able to run them out of that sacred piece of real estate. And that's a promise that will be kept. John Rood gives us information about the European Union. We talked about the Palestinians attacking Jews In the European Union, Palestinians are a part of the prophetic scenario found in God's Word, Malachi chapter 1, Ezekiel 35, and the little book of Obadiah. The European Union as well is in Bible prophecy. That would be Daniel chapter 7, where it talks about the old Roman Empire being revived and playing a key role in the seven-year tribulation period. Bible prophecy is absolute and will be fulfilled. Dr. Don DeYoung came to talk with us about the solar storms that could cause havoc here on the earth. It is very interesting to note the connection between the solar storms in the heavenlies and the damage that could take place on the earth, attacks on our electrical grids, radio broadcasts, etc., could be harmed by these solar storms. But let me remind you, even a solar storm is God's display of his glory as foretold in Psalm chapter 19. David James and I have a weekly conversation, and this week we talked about the failure to teach children and teenagers biblical doctrine and eschatology. In fact, it could destroy the next generation. God's word tells us we must study the prophetic word, but teach our children as well. The Bible says, train them up in the way they should go, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6, and they will never depart from it. It's our responsibility to teach our children the family unit, very key to edification and evangelism. If you had to miss any of these reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, where we have archived the reports so that you'll be able to listen to them at your convenience. In fact, a study of eschatology the study of end times events, Bible prophecy basically, is a necessity for the young as well as the older members of the body of Christ and the family. God's institution of marriage, the family, Genesis chapter 2, is the institution that God set up to evangelize the world and edify the world as well. We must teach our children about the rapture, because it is the next event that will take place in God's calendar of prophetic events. That rapture, by the way, could happen even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until.
2: Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.